Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Um, three episodes in one week. Not really sure what got into me. Can't necessarily say that's going to happen again. Um, but here we are. Thank you all who, uh, for everyone who listened to last week's podcast and gave me some feedback about um, how much content I released. I figured y'all would be pretty cool with whatever felt right to me, which is mostly the feedback I got. So thank you. Um, I would really like to try to release an episode, release an episode a week, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. And then sometimes you get three. I don't know. Um, I don't really subscribe to schedules. I feel like I'm after working in the corporate world through my twenties, I just don't care really, or I don't want to care. That's a more accurate description of how I deal with things I need to do. <laughs> I definitely care. And I definitely hold myself to standards I can't follow through on. And I definitely want to upload more than I normally do. Um, but as I've mentioned a million times, and I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing it, but definitely wanted to keep this project as authentic and intuitive as possible, which means there isn't really a schedule. It just sort of happens when it uh, feels right. So yeah, we are leaving Colorado in a few weeks. Of course, our internet goes down right before we leave. So we're having to like drive to our friends' houses to upload our podcast and do work at the critical time when we really needed internet before we left. No idea when it's going to be fixed. And we have like one bar of service here in uh, the middle of nowhere. So yeah, just trying to cram it all in with um, things coming at us unexpectedly you know, life. Today's episode is with my dear friend, Jenny Kellogg. She has been on the podcast before. I don't remember when, maybe a year or so ago. Was it that long ago? I don't know. Maybe it was in the fall. I honestly don't remember. I remember like the room I was in when I recorded the podcast with her, which is in this house, but a different room. So it had to have been in the fall or the spring. Not sure. Um, but we recorded a really great episode. Jenny is an astrologer. I met her in this valley, actually, at a retreat um, for our astrology apprenticeship back in 2018. Um, and she's a close friend of mine. I'm sure some of you have had readings from her, um, which is amazing. I love being able to sort of bring in my friends, <laughs> um, especially my astrology friends, and have them offer this community readings, which is something that I'm not offering anymore. So we can sort of all you know, add to the community in the ways that feel right and authentic to us. And I love being able to 
delegate um, tasks to others. Uh, I feel like I'm super into that idea on in all contexts, whether that's living in a community where people live reciprocally and everyone sort of takes care of what they're good at and what they enjoy, or with this podcast as well. Um, Jenny's actually going to be teaching a workshop to my patrons this coming weekend. It's at 10 a.m. Mountain Time on Saturday. She's going to be doing a workshop on the lunar nodes, which have a lot to do with our soul's journey. Um, So if you are interested in learning a bit more about astrology, taking a a workshop from Jenny, the way to do that is to sign up on Patreon, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. If you sign up for the renegade level or higher, you will get access to that workshop. Um, You will also get access to the workshop I will be hosting the following weekend. Um, although I'm hosting it, my friend Whitney, another astrologer who's been on the podcast, is going to be doing a workshop on Saturn and Aquarius. Um, she came, Whitney came on the show not too long ago, and uh, we talked about Saturn returns and sort of um, polled the audience if you guys would be interested in doing a Saturn and Aquarius workshop. Saturn is in Aquarius right now and will be for a little while. Um, And you guys very much wanted to do that. So Whitney is going to also be teaching a workshop to my patrons. Um, I wanted to speak a bit about Patreon. I know I do sometimes, but I'm going to talk about it more. It was funny. I I got some feedback from the episode that I released last week, the solo episode, where the feedback or yeah, the feedback or insight was interesting. It was that I, I refer to you all as you all. And you guys, like as if you're a collective instead of just you individually. And it was interesting to think about this because that wasn't ever um, a decision like I made. I think it just started happening or maybe it's been happening since the beginning that I sort of been been speaking to all of you as a group. Which I think in my mind I assumed was inclusive and um, accurate, right? That. I am really trying to create a community with this podcast. We very much have a community, I feel like, through Patreon, whether it's on the Discord server or the WhatsApp groups. You know, I see the same people sort of in the book club meetings and in the workshops. And we, although I know that not all of you are a part of that, many of you are. And I feel like that community has become the people that I end up speaking to when I record. Um which has definitely not always been the case. So I'm interested to know if I've changed the way that I've referred to you. Um, But I kind of wanted to like apologize to those of you that maybe aren't in this community and maybe you feel alienated by me talking about you guys or this group or all of you um, if you're not a part of that. So I wanted to welcome all of you, whether you're in that sort of tight-knit Patreon community or not. Um, Of course, I'm very grateful to have all of you here. I can't necessarily say I'm going to be able to correct my my language in the future, but I just wanted to kind of note it um, because it is, it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. I wonder, you know, I listen to other podcasts um, and I wonder what the differences are as far as how they address the audience. You know, I, I think when I started the podcast, the advice I got was like, act as if you're talking to one person, you know, who's sort of a friend, who's um, sort of symbolic of your audience as a whole. And I do remember uh, doing that in the past. And I actually had a friend or I have a friend. She's still a friend. (laughs) But at the time I felt like she 
as a person was sort of very symbolic of my audience as a whole. And I remember reaching out to her a couple of times being like, I feel like sometimes I'm recording podcasts just for you. Um, because you're some, for some reason, so like all encompassing of the person who I feel like would be listening to this. But then I think as the Patreon community grew, which it definitely has, especially in the past year, I feel like I really started thinking about the fact that I'm talking to that group. Um, there's about 60 or 70 or so of you on the Discord server um, thus far. We would definitely welcome more of you. Um, and yeah, I I sort of like that I unintentionally started referring to all of you as you guys, <laughs> um, which I do apologize if it's felt weird or alienating. Like, who is she talking to? What group of people is she talking to? I'm not a part of that group. I don't really want to be a part of that group. Um, so that would maybe be weird. Uh, but I have to say the, the real sole purpose of this podcast in my mind was to create a community. So it's interesting that over time, as that's actually happened, that I just started referring to you guys as you guys. <laughs> anyway, I don't need to get too far into that, but I did think it was interesting. I'm, I'm interested to hear if you all have noticed that, what your thoughts are, um, I don't know if it'll change. It's hard It's hard not to speak to this core group of amazing humans who I have met virtually and in person and who I feel like I will know for a very long time, like possibly for the rest of my life. And I, I feel like we're only at the very beginning of sort of collaborating and thinking of all the ways to work together and help each other. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's sort of what this podcast eventually births is really just an in-person community. Um, that was definitely the broad goal when I first, first launched it a couple years ago. And it's, it's, um, beautiful and a little bit surprising, but mostly I just feel a lot of gratitude for the fact that it's really happened so quickly and I know we'll continue to grow. So if you are an individual listener and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm very grateful that you're here and that you're listening and that you are participating in this podcast in whatever way that feels fit. And for those of you that are in the community, thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting me and allowing me to do this. And, you know, I think I mentioned this last time that so many of you reach out and say thank you. And um, it's really like I just, you know, opened the door. You all filled the space. And without people in the room, there wouldn't be much of a community at all. Um, and not to mention, you know, the workshops that we host through Patreon are all either former guests of the podcast or patrons or both. Um, and so it's really a way that we can all share knowledge and all offer what we're good at. Again, it's just me opening the door, but you guys are the substance that's um, inside. And without that substance, just be me in a, in a room speaking into a mic. <laughs> To nobody. Um, if you would like to become a part of this community more than you are, as I mentioned, we have book clubs that I host quarterly, although last year we did five. So probably going to be uh, more than quarterly. I really can't read books on my own anymore. It's not very fun. I want to talk to you guys, you guys about them all the time. Um, we're doing a new book club in June. We are picking from three different books. Um, and uh, if you want to know what those books are, if you want to vote on them, Patreon is the place. As I mentioned, we have workshops. Um, I think someone's going to be hosting a, a patron of mine 
is going to be doing a Reiki workshop. Um, next month, we've had people teach foraging and breath work and how to become a more confident creator. We have two astrology workshops this month. Um, I have so many playlists that are in the works or that are already released that are for patrons only. Um, and the Discord server, which is amazing. And there's lots of people in there that are talking about all sorts of subjects at all times. So if you're lonely and you're looking to share um, some sort of virtual online space with like-minded humans, um, definitely recommend Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash you'll see that there are three different tiers. There's $5 a month, $10 a month, and $25 a month. Um, $5 a month gets you access to all of the sort of bonus content that I post on Patreon, whether that's like a bonus video that I've recorded in an interview, um, all of the playlists, and I think a couple of other things, stickers. Um, and then the $10 level is really where all of the value is, in my opinion. Um, so that's where you'll get the workshops, the book clubs, the Discord server, etc. And if you think about it, like basically two Starbucks lattes a month, but instead of a couple of cups of non-organic coffee with shitty milk, you get a whole community and you get workshops and book clubs and um, playlists and tons of stuff that, in my opinion, is worth far more than $10. Plus, with that $10, really what you're doing is helping support me and this project because there is no other way for me to make money, at, last, at least not any other way that I want to. I don't want to have advertisers on the show. I don't want to read ads. I don't want to bog it down with that. So this is like public radio and I need your support. Um, but yeah, I need your support, but also I think if you ask anyone who is involved um, that they really enjoy being a part of this community and that makes me really happy to actually give you guys something that's valuable and have you meet more people who are like you and help you through difficult experiences. Um, speaking of difficult experiences, this podcast today, uh, Jenny and I touched on this a bit and I also touched on the, con the idea of a sort of spiritual awakening or spiritual emergency in a solo podcast I posted a little while ago called A Millennial's Guide to Spirituality. Um, and Jenny listened to it and Jenny said, there's so much more to say. <laughs> and she was right. Um, and so much of this con these conversations I end up having with Jenny because she's had so many amazing experiences in this respect and has a lot of really profound insight, has been sort of in many different kinds of spiritual communities throughout her life. And I really value her feedback. And I feel like Jenny was honestly there once I met her in our apprenticeship during my own Dark Night of the Soul. Um, she was such a beacon of just light and someone that I knew I could rely on and who would give me straight up, um, straightforward information and who I knew was never going to suck me up into some sort of like transcendent wooey cult <laughs> kind of spirituality. She always kept me really grounded. Um, so I love talking to her about this subject and I wanted to bring her on to expand upon it further. And, and also because I think, you know, uh, I love it. I was like, not going to talk about this, but, um, this whole conspirituality thing that's going on now, I'm not going to speak that much to this because I don't think it's worth my time to, um, but I, a lot of people have reached out to me about that podcast specifically, but about the concept overall, right? That there are these spiritual communities that are sort of like 
um, kind of like the far left is actually quite close to the far right as far as QAnon goes, that there are a lot of people who are kind of anti-government and sort of fall more into the camp of that sort of right wing group than you might think. Um, and I think this is true. And I think there are a lot of people like that. I've been really sort of disturbed by the amount of spiritual crazy people there are. Uh, in this day and age. And I feel like COVID has made that become quite clear. And I was actually really excited when I heard there was a podcast called Conspirituality, um, these sort of spiritual groups that are uh, taking on these conspiracy theories as true, sort of engaging in the same lack of trust of our government in these larger systems as the right wing folks are. Um, and I was really excited about that because I've definitely seen that as a trend. Although in listening to that podcast... I was just as disturbed, if not more so, by their fundamentalist cult-like rhetoric as I am about the people who they were criticizing. Um, I just don't understand how we can't have nuanced perspectives about anything. I don't understand how we can't think about the fact that, yes, of course, a healthy body living a healthy life with not a lot of stress is going to be far better at dealing with a virus like COVID than someone that's obese and unhealthy and, you know, eats a ton of processed foods and takes a bunch of shitty medications. But still, like, I still, still, I'm going to get a vaccine to protect other people who are not as healthy. I'm not going to like go on some death rampage and like get everyone sick. Not, you know, for sure. I wish those things were different. I wish those people had access to information and to resources so that we could all be living healthy, happy, hippie lives. But that's just not the case. And, you know, this whole idea of like, oh, well, if you're strong and healthy, don't get the vaccine. That's not the point of a vaccine. It's not just to protect you. It's to protect everyone. Um, and I'll, and I'll just say, maybe I'm, I'll get in trouble for this and lose a ton of listeners, um, which is fine because <laughs> I don't think those are the listeners I want to have, but I'm actually, I've never gotten a vaccine in my life. This was something that, um, was obviously not my choice. My parents decided back in the eighties that they didn't want to vaccinate me. This was like pre-internet. They had to go to libraries and research all of this. And they were never like anti-vaccine as a concept. They just didn't agree with the American schedule of giving vaccines and decided that they would let me and my brother grow up to be adults and to do our own research and to decide what, what vaccines we wanted and when. Um, my brother has gotten a ton of them um, before, but I never did. I, I didn't travel to a place where it felt like I needed to. There wasn't a pandemic that popped up. Um, and so I just never got one. And it was a little bit difficult for me to decide what I wanted to do in this case because I don't trust the mainstream medical establishment. I do think there's a lot of shit going down. Um, I don't think it's a conspiracy per se, but I think when people are making money and our society runs on, you know, this extremely capitalist, patriarchal, um, runs in, in such a way that, you know, we don't have necessarily systems that we can trust 100%, but we can trust them a bit, right? Like, man, I could go on such a rant about this, but I am someone that just really doesn't trust that stuff. I don't go to doctors. I don't, I don't even remember the last time I took like Advil or Tylenol. I don't participate in the main, in the mainstream, you know, medical industrial complex at all. Um, 
I don't, you know, take antibiotics just because I'm told to. I think these decisions should be contextual. You know, I think even the decisions about the vaccine should be contextual. Do you live in a city or do you live out in the middle of nowhere? Are you working at an old people's home or do you not see anybody all day? You know, like, I think we need to be thinking a bit more critically and nuanced about um, these decisions and whether or not we're going to get them. I personally, a lot of you have reached out to me and asked me to speak about this subject. I'm sort of doing this um, begrudgingly (laughs) because it's such a inflammatory topic. Um, But personally, I decided to get a vaccine because I would like to travel this summer. I don't want to put other people at risk um, who cannot get the vaccine, like people going through chemo um, or have extremely weakened immune systems to the point where they just can't get this. I'm not going to kill them with my irresponsibility or my, um, what's the word? Privileged, privileged ass. (laughs) That's the word. Um, so I wanted to travel, which is somewhat to protect other people and somewhat selfish, um, as far as getting the vaccine goes. And also because I wanted to prove to myself that I wouldn't die. Um, I sort of did this same strategy. I was on hormonal birth control when I was a kid, a kid, when I I was a kid, I was 16 when I went on hormonal birth birth control and I was on it till I was about 20, 21 maybe. And I went off and I think, um, going off birth control was extremely detrimental to my body. Nobody told me that I should go off of it responsibly and like support my body in that process. And I think it really was the catalyst for what turned into like 10 years of pretty severe hormonal issues that took me 10 years to figure out. Um, and so obviously after having that experience, I said to myself like, fuck birth control. I'm never going to do that shit again. I was all about the fertility method and just like being safe and that's not for me and I'm all natural and blah, 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 self-righteous bullshit. And then I've decided I didn't want to be pregnant. Like there were too many scares um, and I didn't want that looming over my head and I didn't want to live my life in fear. I did not want to live my life in fear of birth control because I think there are many amazing things about birth control. Um, And so I decided to get a copper IUD. Granted, not hormonal. I wouldn't do the hormonal thing again, but I think we've sort of looped all birth control into this, like, God forbid we, you know, murder our natural, healthy, clean bodies with the medical industrial complex. Um, And so I I don't want to live in that way, right? I don't want to live in fear. And I feel like so many of these sort of conspiracy, anti-government like where it's all this victimhood fear mentality that I just don't subscribe to. Um, and so I decided to get a copper IUD simply to prove to myself that I'd be fine, that I wasn't going to die, that no locusts were going to descend from the sky because I decided to participate in some sort of mainstream medical thing. Um, and in many ways I did the same for the vaccine. I don't want to be afraid of this vaccine. I don't want to walk around like, oh, I don't know, maybe it's gene therapy or my period's going to disappear or be really heavy or, um, just like enough of that, enough of that. I am smart enough and I am educated enough and I am aware enough and I am intuitive enough to make these decisions for myself in a nuanced personal way. And I think anytime we, if we subscribe to the cult of like taking pictures of ourselves, getting the vaccine and like, we believe science, like that is just as bad as the, we don't believe science people. 
some science is legit. We got to find our way somehow <laughs> to the middle or our own version of the middle. So I'm not encouraging anyone to get the vaccine. I want to encourage you to make your own responsible decision for yourself. Stop reading crazy shit online that's not true on either side of the, of the aisle. Make your own decision and make sure that your decision is not a decision you're making because that's the cool one or the one that you think other people will support or the one that that cool podcaster you like talked about. Stop doing that. <laughs> make your own decisions. Um, and I think the, you know, the spiritual awakening, the dark night of the soul. You know, someone asked me the other day, like, can you just tell me about it? Like, what is that? Um, and I do think it's an opportunity for us to like upgrade our consciousness. And Jenny and I speak about this as well on the podcast, but it's like, we're given more information than we had before. And it's up to us to find a way to incorporate that, incorporate that information into our lives or not. Right. And I think we have, I think that's something that the dark night of the soul allows us to do or gives us the opportunity to do. But even if you're not in that kind of a crisis, I feel like we're sort of constantly being hit with processes like this at all times. Right. You know, we we're super triggered by someone and we get really angry with them about what they're doing and what they're saying and why won't they stop and da -da -da, we're just going crazy. And then we suddenly realize that like, yes, maybe they're an annoying person, but the fact that I'm this triggered by them has something to do with me. And we sit back and we give ourselves the opportunity to discover what that is. And we realize that, holy shit, what that person does doing that's bothering me so much is the thing that bothers me about myself. But I'm not willing to, I'm not ready or willing or capable of incorporating that shadow part of myself into my own identity and understanding about who I am. So I project it, I'm projecting it onto this other person. Doesn't mean they're not doing that thing. But you found that person just so you could easily project your own shadow onto them. And so in these in these crazy times that we're in right now where there is so much information being thrown at us and i think we're all being being triggered in any number of ways whether we're going through a severe crisis whether we're going through little crises whether not much is happening but just we see everything happening collectively we're constantly being asked to adjust we're constantly being asked to be more nuanced because there is nuanced information everywhere, right? I feel like we, if we're paying attention, we're going to constantly be hit with contradicting information. And it's up to us to decide what to do with that. And I, I highly encourage everyone to take little bits of all of it. Because that's where the truth is. The truth is not in, you know the science, the truth is not in the conspiracy about the science. It's somewhere in the middle of all of that. And you're never going to read that truth in an article. You're going to figure that out for yourself. You're going to find what works for you. So that's all I have to say about that. I just think it's, it's, it's crazy to me that we're living in a world right now, especially on the spirituality side where like, like I've heard friends of mine are afraid to tell their clients that they got a vaccine because there's so many people in these spiritual realms who are so 
not just opposed to that action. It's like you as a person cannot be taken seriously. You know, I remember when Chris Ryan was doing a bunch of rants on his podcast about masks and it was like, all these people would reach out. Like I have supported you for years and years and years, but now that I know that you think I should wear a mask, I am dismissing everything, every bit of value that you've ever given me ever. Like that's your problem, (laughs) right? Like that's crazy. We can all exist and make little different decisions. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that person's entire world worldview is different than yours, or maybe it does. But if that's the kind of worldview, then that you want to live in that black and white fear-based victimhood, everything's a conspiracy or the opposite, right? Like everything that is in science is a conspiracy. Have fun with that. (laughs) But that definitely isn't my scene. Um, And uh, I think we'll all do a lot better in the world if we can approach this in a bit more of a nuanced way, like all things. How sick of you guys, how sick are you guys of hearing me say this? Broken record. I feel like if there was a broken record, it would just be like nuance, 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 paradox, paradox, paradox. (laughs) You just say those words over and over. That's what's going to happen when my record breaks. Um, okay. I think I've talked about everything I wanted to. Um, again, if you would like to participate in this weekend's workshop, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz is the place to do that. And when you sign up for $10 a month, you will get access, access to all sorts of amazing things. If you guys ever have any questions about that or are hesitant to sign up for Patreon, cause you have a, you're confused, um, please send me a message or an email anyakotz at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at anya.kotz send me a DM. Um, you're also very welcome. If like when you hear me announce different things, like a specific book club or a specific workshop on Patreon, and you just want to sign up to just take that, then do that, right? Just sign up for Patreon for one month. It is a monthly subscription. I think also, if you want to sign up for a year, you get 10 to 15% off. I think it's 15%. Um, so if you know you want to participate in workshops and book clubs and the discord server and all that stuff for the remainder of the year, sign up for a year and you get a discount. Um, but if you just want to participate here and there, you can also always just join and then cancel your subscription. I won't be mad. It's totally fine. Um, I host all of these things through Patreon as opposed to separately again, because I want to create this community space. I want you all to meet each other. And I felt like if I didn't have a Patreon and it was more like just pay for this workshop here and pay for this book club over here that we wouldn't get the same, um, sort of, um, camaraderie and support from one another as I hoped. Um, plus it's a, it's a a more sort of stable way for me to make money each month if I know that there's monthly donations coming in. So patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Um, I'm going to play you in with Blue Sky Mind by Trevor Hall, because I feel like I just have to play a Trevor Hall, um, song on every podcast that I release that has something to do with spirituality. Uh, just kidding, but that's, that's, That is how it keeps working out. And so now I'm just like doing it purposefully. Um, This is the first track off of his his new album, In and Through the Body. And I feel like the first, not I feel like, when I heard this for the first time, I remember exactly where I was actually. Um, But I was totally uh, sobbing. And uh, yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about this whole bringing the spiritual realm down to earth and feeling these things in our bodies. And I think... 
this plays a role in our whole feeling and thoughts and decision making around how we live in the world, whether that's, you know, what sort of place we choose to live in, what sort of vaccinations we choose to get, what sort of ways we wish to speak to other people. Um, all of this stuff really should be coming from a bodily felt place. And I feel like a lot of these spiritual movements don't do that. They don't, they're not talking about the bodily aspect of these things where we're thinking about 5d, 3d ascension, like all these very transcendent out of body experiences, but we're humans. So to me, the most, the best chance that we possibly have at enlightenment is to tend to the earth in spiritual ways, to tend to our body in spiritual ways, right? There is nothing else we can do. We're not going to be lifted up into the sky on a bed of rainbows. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and if we keep putting ourselves there on the bed of rainbows floating up to the clouds, I don't think we're going to be able to intuit what is best for us. That's when we're going to subscribe to stupid ideologies that are black and white and that don't speak to our individual experience, our needs. And so the more we can embody our spiritual practice, the more we can feel these things within ourselves, um, the better I think we will all be. So enjoy this song. Enjoy this conversation with Jenny. I hope to see you all at the workshop next weekend and at Whitney's workshop the following weekend. And um, I will catch you on the other side. How you gonna get free this time? Falling into a blue sky mind Came to me in that song, my friend I just wanna go back again hey. Mother standing right next to me Showing me what I need to see is falling into my mouth Flowers blooming all up and down I've found healing through the body It's healing through the body All along Healing through the body All along It's healing through the body Okay, we are recording. I am here with my friend, Jenny, who is Hi. returning to the podcast, which is exciting. <laughs> it's my honor. <laughs> it is my honor as well. Um, yeah, I really wanted to have, I feel like even in deciding what we were going to talk about today, I then thought of even like a third topic that I want to bring you on the show to talk about. So there's a lot. Okay, but stay today... tuned for that, that mysterious <laughs> third topic. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how can I fit that into this topic? Like, no, you can't. You just have to do that another time. Um, but today I wanted to sort of continue the conversation that I feel like I started in a solo podcast I did a little while back called A Millennial's Guide to Spirituality. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I wanted to bring Jenny back on to talk about this stuff because I feel like, first of all, I think I've personally learned a lot from you directly and you've pointed me in directions of certain, you know, books or teachings um, or even just speaking about your direct experience that has been phenomenally helpful for me and like grounding myself into my own um, spiritual experience. Um, But you've had a very interesting and I think... I don't know, sort of trustworthy and honorable journey with all of this. And so in addition to talking about my own experience going through a spiritual quote unquote awakening, I wanted to bring someone else on to talk about their own personal journey, but also just so we can sort of, um, I can hear you sort of discuss all of the stuff that you've learned about and, and gone through. And I think we, uh, I think we both have a rather, um, yeah, we just have, a, I think, a similar viewpoint and have had similar experiences and have similar opinions about this Mm -hmm. stuff. So um, anyway, thank you for coming back. Um, I guess first it would be, I, I would sort of like to hear a bit more about when you like sort of adopted spirituality into your life and how that happened and what were the beginning stages of that journey. Obviously like we met after you'd already been through a lot and in our astrology apprenticeship, but you have been in this world for quite some time. Um, Mm -hmm. So interested to hear how that all started for you. Yeah, I, it was gradual, but at the same time, from the perspective of the outside world, it seemed very sudden. Um, I was living a very rational atheistic, I think I would say, uh, adult life. I was an academic. I was working in academia and nonprofits. And I had really staked my identity on being a scholar, being a thinker, and suppressed a lot of my feelings. And we can get into, I had many spiritual experiences when I was a child that I just, they were not, they, there was no way to integrate them into my adult life. So Gradually, it started with um, doing yoga. In 2005, kind of yoga became a thing. And some friends said, I should try a yoga class to help me with my flexibility. And from there, you know, I think yoga starts with your physical body and opening up the places in your body that have residues of trauma and, you know, emotional patterning. And so that was a first opening truly to feel my body in a non-disembodied way and to start to connect with that. Um, And then yoga emphasizes mindfulness. So I started mindfulness meditation and I became really involved in my yoga studio um, in 2010 and 2011 in, in DC. I was part of one of the first vinyasa yoga studios in DC. And that was sort of my community, my life, um, And so, you know, gradually I deepened an awareness of myself beyond my mind and my identity and became more embodied. And then we'd be doing things like, you know, half an hour meditation or chanting Om or inviting a um, a Bhakti Yoga Hare Krishna into class. And those were moments where I would have kind of accidental ecstasy or accidental spiritual bliss, you know, where everybody else is like fidgeting around you, can't get, can't get into a mindful state. And I'd be like, 
you know, <laughs> on cloud nine, extreme energy in my third eye, you know, like seeing all these colors and lights and having things happen. And even then it took me a long time to, to be honest with myself. Like, what was that? You know, I would just, I didn't have any framework, which is going to be a big theme of this podcast. Yeah. So, uh, so I would just kind of brush it off. And, um, as I got deeper into training to become a yoga instructor, we have to read the um, ancient uh, Hindu Indian texts of yoga. And that made me realize, wait a minute, like I'm learning this purely from mostly a physical point of view, like how to tell someone to get into a handstand. And that's not what these this was designed to do. So, um, you know, I became a yoga instructor and I went deeper and deeper into Hindu spirituality as a part of, of integrating, um, that kind of missing side of my yoga practice. And in that I, I started to, you know, develop a meditation practice and I wanted, the more I got into yoga as a physical discipline, the more I realized I was missing a huge part of my life, which was spirituality. Um, and so I started trying out all these different types of meditation, you know, cause I felt like, and, and a lot of it was ego. Like I felt like I'm good at meditation, yeah. you know, like, let's see what else I can do with this thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I started, um, meditating with different groups. Um, and I was very influenced in the beginning around 2011, 2012, kind of the beginning of my spiritual journey. Uh, by some friends who are part of uh, the Dharma Ocean Buddhist tradition, part of Shambhala. And they have a, a practice of meditating with the body. And that helped a lot. But as I tried, I kept trying to also, there's a parallel part of this, of seeing myself fitting into a spiritual community, um, which you often talk about in your podcast. Um, so I grew up without a religion, in the Unitarian church because one of my parents was Jewish and one of my parents was Catholic. And, you know, the Unitarian church seemed to fit our values, our social values, if not any type of religious or spiritual framework. Um, and so, you know, I was meditating with these Buddhists, but then I couldn't see myself being a Buddhist, you mm -hmm. know, like I, like every, I would go to these ceremonies where people are taking refuge in the Dharma. And I was like, this isn't me. I'm not ready to take refuge in the Dharma. So, so I was searching for the thing that was mine for about three or four years. Um, I lived in Greece, as I spoke about on the previous podcast. And I, I, for years, I had tried to fit into Greek Orthodox spirituality. I almost, my husband and I almost converted so that we could be married by a Greek priest, which seemed a little extreme, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was trying things. I was going to Holy Week in the Greek Orthodox Church and deeply communing with Christ and, try, and trying to figure out, like, what is mine and where do I fit in? And um, it was through yoga that I found my current spiritual practice. That, And if you'd like, I can speak about that now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I want to hear about that. I also want to know if there was ever... It does sound like your journey was a, was gradual, um, but whether you experienced a sort of crisis in all of this, where like suddenly you were hit with a lot of 
truths or experiences you hadn't had before and couldn't figure out how to work that in? Or did that for you happen over a longer, gradual period of time? Yeah. I mean, one of them definitely were these kind of sudden experiences of bliss or um, what I would call spiritual phenomena, a lot of light, a lot of love. Mm -hmm. And that would happen kind of no matter who I was meditating with. You know, like one example was I'd be at with these, with the Buddhist group and they'd say, concentrate on your heart. And then at the end, everyone's going around and saying, well, I felt nothing. I saw darkness. I felt blackness. I felt sadness. And I was like, I couldn't concentrate on anything because there was so much blinding light in my heart. Like, doesn't everyone, doesn't everyone else feel this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I'm going, well, what is this? Um, another crisis definitely was the Christ piece. Um, and that is kind of a theme running through my life. So when I started meditating a lot more, I would, you know, kind of see Christ in my inner vision. And I was really drawn to going to church all the time. And I was, there was like a period where I was reading scripture and talking about it to my husband. And, you know, he really thought I had lost my mind. And then I was hiding the fact from my parents because, you know, I don't know if your experience was the same, but, you know, growing up as with the Jewish heritage, Christ is not like, it was very clear Christ was not welcome in my household. Yeah. Christ was like strangely equated with Hitler in my household. Right. <laughs> like it was Jesus who killed the Jews. Like, I don't know if that's, I feel hmm. like a little revisionist there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I started to really, um, so those are two, two big signposts for me. One was like the feelings I had in my heart, extreme love, you know, uh, and extreme bliss as well as, you know, how could Christ, how could I have a vision of Christ if I don't believe in him? Mm -hmm. Right. Or like, what is like my parents talked about people who were Jesus freaks when I was growing up. And right. there was a lot of distrust of the evangelical movement in the eighties when I was a kid. Right. And so this was somehow like you had to be a Christian to know Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. So how would I know Christ? Um, yeah. That, that was really hard for me to integrate. And now I'm, I'm all good. Yeah. Um, but Yeah. Those so types of things. when you sort of aligned with or decided to move in a specific direction as far as spirituality goes, what did that look like? Yeah, it was um, uh, my 36th birthday, and I was getting really frustrated with um, kind of not knowing where I stood I, I I wanted my practices, I wanted to find my path. That's what I wanted. So I went and meditated on my 36th birthday and I said, I prayed. And this whole time I was not into praying. Like again, praying is loaded, right? For, for like praying was not a thing that I learned how to do in my family or not the Unitarian church. <laughs> we yeah. did not pray. Um, and so I said this prayer of this, it was a one line prayer. Please, God, help me to find my path. And in a part of it in the back of my mind was like, 
well, what job should I take? You know, or, you know, what, what's happening to me in my life? Like it was a very practical ego centered, like help Mm. me get through this. And another part of me was like, what's my, what's my path and my purpose? So Mm. I said that prayer and then, um, I was listening to a yoga podcast with a wonderful yogi in San Francisco, Darren Main, and he interviewed uh, this very old yogi. He, this man died like a couple of weeks later, I believe, called Swami Kriyananda, and he was talking about his entire life and this Hindu yogic path and his guru. And I heard his voice and I was like, this is it. This is a thing I want. And I got the book. It was Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And when I looked at the cover of the book, and this is not an uncommon experience with my guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, it was like the the, the photograph of my guru was was connecting to me. You know, I could feel energy emitting from it. I could feel the picture's eyes looking in my eyes. And I had, I was like instantly in bliss. Like when I ordered the book from Amazon, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that was like, I read the book in a couple of days and I wrote to the organization and said, I'm ready to become a disciple. And I haven't, although I can talk about how my path has changed and, you know, how once you get on the spiritual path, it's not what you expect. Um, and there are a lot of twists and challenges. And I think it's, I'm part of this organization called Ananda Church of Self-Realization Fellowship. And they're one of the longest running spiritual communities in America, and they have uh, communities all over the world. But they're a group and a container. And that's what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's always, it's, it's been challenging for me to realize that I can't do everything the way, you know, they might like to conform. Or to do be, you know, on the spiritual path in the same way. I'm not a vegetarian. I don't meditate an hour and a half every day. Uh, yeah. Things like that. So what was it about these teachings in particular? Do you feel like it was like something you can even explain logically as to why you felt sort of taken by these teachings mm-hmm. or this container relative to some others that you'd experience? Yes. So these teachings in this container makes space for Christ, um, as well as a, a lineage of Indian gurus. And um, we believe that Christ was a yogi and that Christ was teaching the same thing as um, this yogic spiritual path in terms of meditation, love, enlightenment, and... Um, Many yogic paths describe your energy body and what happens in meditation or your subtle body or your astral body. Um, but my guru brought a set of techniques and meditations for working with that energy body. That was very helpful. The other is this is a devotional spiritual practice, and that means it's kind of a path of the heart. And being in a relationship with God or the guru, the divine, that is in a I-you relationship, like it's an actual relationship. Mm-hmm. And the path emphasizes loving God and offering yourself to God 
as opposed to, now some of my Buddhist friends might disagree with this, but speaking from my personal experience, when I was trying on Buddhism, you know, there wasn't a real devotional I, you, like God emphasis in, in the path, in that practice and path. And, and that's what I needed. You know, I wanted to be in a relationship with God. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think the way that you did this, the journey that you went on, um, specifically around identifying with a guru or having like this person, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think used to be very common, I think, especially in the sixties, for example, but I think is far less common nowadays. And I'm, I'm interested to hear, I guess, two things. One, why you chose that direction to go versus sort of like, I'm just going to make up my own way and be my own God and do all of that. But then also I'm interested to hear what you think about why we've strayed from identifying with or following a guru versus what feels to me now like a much more sort of broadened, you know, I don't need to worship a person who represents God because I am that like, it's, it's a more like, you know, figure it out as you go kind of a thing. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to hear why you think it's sort of fallen out of style for us to have mm -hmm. that more specified like mm -hmm. container or whatever. So I should clarify that my guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, whom I took initiation to, um, he died in 1952. So our lineage is, you know, handed down. There's two spiritual organizations that represent him and both offer these initiations. Um, and so our lineage is handed down through tradition and through people who, let's say, carry that energy and can initiate you. Um, so not having a guru in the body again, it seems easier. It might, may sound harder, but, but to me, um, the relationship has to be internal, um, and inner and something that is really discerned through myself, through my heart in meditation and not based on an external authority figure. So that's one reason why I think my spiritual path may fit a little bit more with this time, <laughs> because I think your question is getting to the fact that there have been a lot of gurus that came to the West in the 20th century um, and spiritual teachers who, uh, for one reason or another, have um, broken trust, been fraudulent, um, perpetrated abuse, and changed the view that we have in our culture of of, guru, of a guru, you know, and um, made it to be something of a bad thing. Whereas traditionally, the teachings, um, my teachings are based on Hinduism, but not, I'm not part of a Hindu, strictly Hindu um, spiritual path. But the teaching is that the guru is the wayfinder, the teacher who shows you and helps you along the spiritual path because it's very dangerous. Um, so ask me your question again. What else, what, <laughs> else, what other parts would you like me to include? Um, well, just sort of like, yeah, I mean, I guess you did answer that. 
I think, I think you answered both of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> why you decided on that path, but also why we've strayed from it, I feel like, in many ways. And I wonder, too, uh, whether we've misunderstood what a guru is supposed to be. And so, I mean, and we can, let's broaden our lens a little bit and look at this as any kind of spiritual teacher that we engage in, um, where I feel like sometimes part of the problem is that we're looking for that person to be this like perfect godly, like perfect God in human form kind of a thing. And we, when the person makes a human error, or has humanness of any kind, we th- say, oh, okay, well, that therefore, that person doesn't, I don't, you know, that person doesn't deserve me following them and also isn't, isn't what they say they are. Um, like, yes, and- I, I, I think mm-hmm. that's a weird thing that, like, Westerners do is we don't understand what a guru is to begin with, so we don't recognize that they're supposed to be, like, a symbolic form of something. Um I don't know what your thoughts are about that. But. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in my tradition, we would distinguish between a guru who is an avatar, and many people would, many gurus come and say they're avatars, but an avatar is someone who um, is someone who's incarnated, who is um, like Christ no longer uh, has any karma, has transcended this reality, and uh, doesn't need to incarnate in order to work through uh, their karmic challenges or to achieve enlightenment. So right off the bat, my guru, you know, he's he's taught that he's an avatar. So he's not human (laughs) in a way. He has taken a human birth, but he's not still working out all of the challenges we humans have. Um, And so I think the way that you're using the term guru or spiritual teacher is to acknowledge that we're human and Mm -hmm. we're still, we're we're not free of karma or attachments. We're not here um, specifically on divine mission to help uplift humanity, but we can all be a part of it. And we don't, the word guru has come to mean, you know, some sort of divine enlightened teacher who is above everyone else. And um, that's where we have problems because we don't understand these terms. We don't, in our culture, we don't have a framework for spiritual awakening at all. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I know you work with a lot of clients who have been through various forms of this. Obviously you have, I have, um, and there, I'd love to sort of talk about what is a spiritual awakening? What does that look like? How, what are some examples? Cause obviously they can occur in multiple different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that we're referring to when we say a spiritual awakening or a spiritual crisis of some kind? Um, I think it's an, opening to something larger than yourself. And in our Western world, we call that an existential crisis, like what is our existence? But to me, um, the reason spiritual awakening or spiritual crisis or spiritual emergency is such a big problem is that our world thinks of itself as separate from God. Like since, you know, the enlightenment or 
the dawn of Western scientific materialism, there's been a separation between the church, which is seen as like the authority on religion and spirituality and, you know, and uh, science or non or the secular world. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we see so many spiritual crises because people are finding that this separation is not valid or doesn't reflect their own inner experience. Um, and so a spiritual awakening can be, you know, anything. Realizing your oneness with uh, an animal that you happen to see on the side of the road and roadkill, yeah. <laughs> you know, and feeling <laughs> compassion for that for that, uh, deceased animal, or it can, um, manifest in, you know, taking psychedelics and having a unitive experience or, you know, I think in meditation, like my experience, I've never taken psychedelics and I've had many experiences of non-ordinary states of consciousness brought on by, you know, let me set my mindfulness timer for 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it, it, what a spiritual crisis or a spiritual awakening looks like there is a, of an opening of beyond your sense of yourself as an individual, you know, that is, um, bound and not connected to others. Mm -hmm. Um, my, me, my own consciousness, my own ego, um, and, then on the other side, that brings a crisis because we don't know what that means. Right. Yeah, it was interesting reading this book that you told me about spiritual emergency. Um, mm -hmm. I forget which essay it was in particular, but it was described in such simple terms like, you know, there is an opening for a growth in consciousness, right? Like a growth in mm -hmm. awareness. And it's that simple. It's just like, it's time to grow a little bit. It's time to like, right. you know, it's like I could, you know, akin to traveling, let's say, to another country for the first time and recognizing that there are, like, far more experiences of what it's like to be human than just your own, right? Like, that, too, is a sort of growth in consciousness or an opening for that. Mm -hmm. And I think this one, to sort of look at it that simply, right, and whether it's, like, through a near-death experience or a psychedelic experience or um, a fucking UFO experience or just mm -hmm. a crisis in your life, a health crisis, an emotional crisis, whatever that's what's going on. It's like, oh, there's more here than you realized. Um, and I know, I don't know, I, I feel relatively grateful for the way in which I experienced this. I mean, I was quite alone and didn't really have a spiritual container or guidance in this realm. I mean, right. I did learn about it a lot, but it did feel extremely manic and crazy. But it really, like, if I think back on it, you know, that's what was going on. It was just like, oh, okay, expand your consciousness now to include these other types of ways of existing, these other ways of seeing the world, these non-ordinary states of consciousness. Um, do you think, you know, on the one hand, I guess we can talk about, like, again, the lack of the container and the framework. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's maybe start there. How does that, the fact that we don't have containers for this or we don't have gurus, appropriate ones, that is, um, <laughs> or guidance, like how is that 
affecting people to the point where they're not integrating these experiences. I don't want to say properly, but I sort of do. Um, Mm -hmm. In a way that allows them to live a fuller, more honest life as opposed to descending into some sort of strange psychosis. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it starts, it comes down to we don't talk about what are the risks of a spiritual opening and how to support one on that journey, which is what the traditionally a guru would do. Um, but yeah, we don't have a container to understand or a framework actually, um, a framework for what happens in our bodies, what happens in our emotions, what happens in our psyche and what is out, what is beyond you know, kind of this world, or we don't have a spiritual framework like, uh, for, for that at all as well, you know, um, besides what physics has offered us. Um, so I think one of the big pitfalls is, um, consumerism and consumption of, uh, fix, quick fix, or all of these different techniques, um, you know, like going and the consumerism and consumption, because we think like spirit, a spiritual awakening is a problem to be solved. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, you know, there's everything there's going to, uh, an ayahuasca temple in Peru and doing ayahuasca, which is helpful for many people, but, you know, a lot of people are going there to try to solve this problem that they feel inside of themselves or to, to quote unquote awaken. Right. Um, there's an agenda for sure. Yeah. An agenda. Um, and then, so that's one problem and that, that involves appropriation of other cultures and, um, abuse of all kinds of indigenous practices and traditions because, I mean, basically, we're the only culture, this you know, sort of Western European culture that has not really condoned a supernatural or expanded version of consciousness. Yeah. Um, so that's one, a huge problem. <laughs> um, yeah. I, and, and I also think then they're on the other side there's a huge, another issue with discernment. So, uh, discerning what is happening to you, discerning whether, um, whether someone who's offering you something you need in your spiritual awakening or enlightenment is where that person is coming from. What is it going to give you? What's happening to you? Uh, so there's a lot of manipulation, narcissism, and just there's there's too much of an opening and no container. Right. And let's like just work that backward a little bit. Like it's my feeling that the vast majority of the people who fulfill those roles, that sort of narcissistic, egoic, quote unquote, healer person, mm-hmm. um, that that identity is a result of this that person's spiritual awakening emergency mm-hmm. not integrating yeah <laughs> I think I think you're right I mean yeah. 
And I think that we can, I, I, I may still be guilty of this. Like, I, I mean, I think that you can see that play out from your yoga instructor to the person you go on a psychedelic retreat to, you know, to your astrology teacher, to everything in between, because it takes a lot of work to process and integrate these experiences. Right. So let's, let's talk about what that, what's happening there. Um, and I feel like I'd be interested to hear how you've personally experienced this and work your, worked your way out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean, I talked about this on the last episode I recorded in regard to this, but I certainly felt like, again, because I had no examples, no container, no guidance, and no framework to understand this stuff, Mm -hmm. that truly when I started, and for me, I think it started with just, it started with a feeling of, I'm miserable, but I know I'm supposed to be here. That in and of itself felt spiritual to some extent. Then it was like the onslaught of really intense synchronicity. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it was like deep waves of grief that put me into like what I can pretty accurately describe as a psychedelic state where I was experiencing, you know, many lifetimes of of people Mm -hmm. and animals and the planet and like just everything sort of made sense, this undeniable connectivity And the immediate reaction I had to a lot of that, especially because it was coinciding with a point in my life that I was like setting a lot of boundaries with people and cutting people out of my life and being like, I need to move on. It very initially manifested as, oh my God, like I've given, I've been given access to these types of experiences and certain realms that other people have not been given and therefore that means I'm special and like Mm -hmm. better than them. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I don't, I can't exactly like, I can't point to the steps to which, I mean, I can, I I have certain experiences where like I kind of caught myself (laughs) in my own ridiculousness and insanity. So it's funny to me that like other people go through that process and, and don't get the same hit of check yourself that I did. Um, but I'm that I think that's I mean I'm I'm interested to hear what you have to say and what you experience in that regard like this feeling of immediately like I'm God <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and that feels like really real for a moment there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I think what you're talking about is both emotional and phenomenal phenomenological or it's a phenomenon, a spiritual phenomena, um, that, you know, when you don't have a framework, you don't have anyone to help you contain it. You can get into depression, uh, mania, um, and, you know, some forms of psychosis. And so, um, I wouldn't say I've experienced psychosis, but, you know, there were a lot of times where I just felt so alone. I felt like, why do I have to, you know, why am I, why do I have to like endure seeing my past lives or having a vision of Christ on a Tuesday afternoon? Like it's lonely and scary. And also maybe I am special because no one else is talking about this. Um, 
so just really, you know, it takes a lot of um, understanding where your spiritual awakening is meeting your own trauma and um, right. where uh, historic uh, PTSD or states of ungrounded nervous system or triggers or, you know, whatever your own nervous system trauma is, how that's meeting, you know, or being stirred up by your spiritual awakening. And that was, I'm still on that journey. You know, um, I have a lot of childhood trauma from uh, a premature birth and, um, I suffered from epilepsy and other neurological conditions when I was a child. And that's definitely trauma in my nervous system. Also, were some of those experiences early spiritual awakenings? Yes. I mean, I was in not in ordinary states of consciousness at three, four, five, seeing my past lives. So finding a container for me, it ended up being a Jungian, um, my Jungian therapist uh, for many years. She was the only person I talked to about this. And one of the challenges I definitely had was that my spiritual group is somewhat open to talking about these things, but I found that even in the other um, meditation groups and circles I tried out, there's a real kind of orthodoxy of not talking about this stuff. Like mm. oh, I've had numerous kundalini experiences, awakenings, or, you know, experiences of intense energy that makes my body shake and weave and, and spiral and involuntary movements and extreme, extreme headaches for many years. And it's like, well, there's one person in my group you can talk to about that, you know? Um, and that's why I love this book, Spiritual Emergency, that you referred to by Stan and Christina Groff, because they named Kundalini Awakening as a spiritual emergency. Um, so I think we need more spaces to just talk about this and discern. Like, you know, am I having a Kundalini Awakening or do I just have a lot of anxious energy in my body? And <laughs> should I, you know, yeah. seriously, like, sh yeah. should I try something like trauma releasing exercises? You know, both yeah. have been true for me. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a, such a romanticizing and glamorizing of these things that I find really problematic. Um, you know, and I think I've even seen like memes going around, like what, what people think a spiritual awakening is like versus what it actually feels like, you know, like bliss and just amazing rainbows versus like, oh my God, a lot of inner shadow work and like trauma and grief. Um, right. And so I think we're sort of tapped into that to some degree, but it still really blows my mind the extent to which we glamorize a kundalini awakening or a psychedelic experience and it becomes this sort of like this weird badge of honor or like let me post about my experience on instagram and just showcase like what a fucking guru i am or whatever um and i think that's part of the problem too is that these at least in my experience all of these sorts of experiences have been really not 
anything I'd want to post on the internet. I mean, it's like me in a fetal position on my floor with like snot right. coming out of my nose and like <laughs> naked with crystals balancing on my body. You know, like that's that's right. what's happening. Um, yeah. My husband used to be like, could you stop your kundalini awakening because you're going to give your neck whiplash, you know, because my head is like flying everywhere. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I, I want to sort of go back to something we were sort of chatting about before we started recording, which is this idea of, I think, let's say, regardless of what it is you're experiencing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's described this really well in the book, too. It's like we experience these sort of states of, yes, there's all the crap, but there's also truly like beauty and bliss and love that a lot of us haven't ever experienced before. And we're sort of reminded of it in a way. Um, but this confusion between, you know, this thing that makes us feel like we're special or we're God versus these realms are all around me and I'm a part of it, but I'm not necessarily special. And there's a lot of people who have gone through this before. Like what Mm -hmm. is this thing that's happening where people take it to personally? And do you think that's what's happening? Um, at least as far as a lot of these sort of fake self-made shaman go, it's like, that's what they're taking on. Like, oh, I'm really special. And I got access to all these realms. Therefore I'm a god. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I think I've experienced this more since I went out on my own and became an astrologer and I'm consuming so much content of other people like me who are selling coaching. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm offering. I'm offering coaching at the end of the day, right? Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just like, <laughs> you know, someone who's going to coach you on your mindset or, or your or marketing or your business. Although I would, okay. In the sense that that's a, a, a paradigm, right? Yeah. That we're, that we're selling our spiritual, uh, knowledge or guidance through. Yeah. yeah. So I, we have this tendency that everything that's going to happen to that happens to us, we commodify, uh, you know, right. Uh, to, to build some sort of, you know, visibility or, um, authority through our experiences. And, you know, it's a lot like what you've talked about, like, uh, in your first, I'm going to say first in your first dark night of the soul, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of like synchronicity, you know, the story about seeing the license plates and, you know, now I understand everything and I've got the codes or I've got, I figured it out. Right. Codes, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, right. Um, we immediately want to sell that and build our own authority and profile through that instead of reflecting on, I had an, I had an amazing uh, experience of synchronicity, but is what does that you know what does that mean like for for me in terms of my relationship with other people, right? Right. So let's let's talk about the commodification because I would like to hear how you've maneuvered through that. It is definitely something for me that I sort of did right off the bat just because that's the culture I grew up in. And like, why take an astrology apprenticeship if you don't turn around and charge people for readings? It just was like, 
And I didn't even really want to become an astrologer, but it, even even still I took it on as the thing to do. Um, and, you know, we're all trying to make ourselves, you know, create some sort of self-made business brand identity. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I do think maybe, you know, is that one way in which our culture is not super amenable to these types of experiences or practices because they were never meant to be commodified yeah, like this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you're referring to is being a shaman was a sacred calling. And if you study, and I'm no expert in shamanism, but like a cursory glance of any um, traditional accounts of what it means to be a shaman is extreme adversity. Uh, sometimes not, not a blessing, but a curse. Totally. Uh, and you know, my, this whole time I was going through the spiritual awakening, my therapist kept telling me that if I lived in a traditional society, I'd be out in the woods by myself having profound spiritual experiences. (laughs) And then I'd come back when I'd integrate them into community and offer that as a service and a healing. So yes, Part of the problem is we have absolutely zero sacred framework for this. It seems like it's just one more thing, you know, and there's so much. One of the things that bothers me right now is um, 4D, 5D awakening, (laughs) you know. Sorry to anyone that I offended with my tone of voice. Uh, Go on. and, And there's all these people who are teaching these techniques and support for ascension. And, um, you know, in my spiritual teachings of my guru, like ascension is, yes, it can happen overnight when you least expect it, but also it's the work of, you know, thousands of lifetimes of effort and, you know, comes from completely letting go of your ego and merging into divine consciousness, which, you know, someone selling supplements who are going to, that's going to help you with your ascension. That's not the same thing. Well, and also is, is that goal in and of itself, you know, I definitely went through a period of time and, and it was made worse by learning astrology and uh, learning that I have my North node, which is sort of like, let's just say my soul's journey in Mm -hmm. Pisces in the 12th, which is literally like, if you're going to put Ascension anywhere in the chart, it's that Mm -hmm. space. And so here I am going through the spiritual emergency and learning astrology. I'm like, oh my God, that's my destiny to be like an ascended, enlightened rainbow being. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I really took that on. And then I, I don't even think it was intentional. I just think over time as the sort of um, film was ripped off so many times for me and experiencing so many like kind of gross fucked up things in this world that, you know, I, I guess I sort of realized that having that as a goal, I mean, and how many of these sort of also older stories about, you know, these gurus teaching people who come to them and say, how do I achieve a light enlightenment? Mm-hmm. And it's like already you're, you fucked it up. <laughs> like Already you're coming at it the wrong way. Right. Where I think that's a big piece too. It's, we have an agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not Mm -hmm. so sure if that's the most appropriate way to traverse this stuff. Well, I might push back a little bit on that because, um, you know, my guru's teachings is that you can't, 
you won't get onto the spiritual path until you have a desire for it mm-hmm. and a desire to know God. And that that is, that's part of what the awakening is. And that was my experience is like, I really wanted to know God. Yeah. Um, right. But I think that's slightly different than, I mean, certainly like we need to have intentionality about things. Um, but if you have this idea of what enlightenment or ascension is, and so then you just like do yes. a bunch of these activities to get there. Yes. Like, I don't actually think you know what there is yet. Um, let alone right. like, <laughs> again, like you said, taking supplements or, you know, these people that are, I see this now p- cropping up a lot, like, oh, I'm going to do like a, a week long darkness retreat or something. Um, like, I think there are also a lot of ways that we go too hard, too fast into yes. certain um, practices that are not, you know, anyway, I'll stop talking and let you say something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even, okay, I'm going to go into that point in just a moment and I'll just yeah. wrap up on Ascension 4D yeah. living, whatever, the, whatever is, you know, like there's a lot of talk right now with the current astrology about how, you know, this is an amazing opportunity for humanity to awaken and ascend. And there are spiritual teachers that I respect who are bringing this message forward. But I think that's in response to the fact that we're in a global crisis, like our world, our planet is failing, the ways that we live as humans are unsustainable. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is time for a global awakening. Um, But and now I want to go back to what your question was. Um, uh, What was my question? you know, having like thinking you know what enlightenment is, and then like crossing a bunch of things off your list in order to attain mm-hmm. it. Um, like, and what is this? I mean, I remember. I think you were actually really instrumental in me being a bit more humble about like my nodal journey and just spiritual journey overall, which was like maybe this lifetime Anya isn't meant for you to truly transition into some sort of ascended master, but that's just the direction just go the direction. Like, you know, there's no goal or like end game. Um, Mm -hmm. but I do think that, and again, so Western, right? Like this idea that there's a, a finish line, um, that once we get here, we will be ascended. We will be enlightened. We will be awakened. And then we shut off any other (laughs) growth Mm -hmm. that may need to come in. Yes. Your question was about going super fast. Oh, right. Towards that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's this, that quest, that issue of going full on towards your own spiritual awakening or your ascension, whatever, is one of the huge things I'm afraid of right now with all of the psychedelic psychotherapy and um, what's going on in the um, psychedelic industry and, you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies or, uh, psychedelic venture capital or just the widespread availability of psychedelic psychotherapy. Yes. (laughs) Because those medicines are really powerful and it's not that people haven't been, I mean, since the 1960s or earlier, people have been taking these medicines without a container. Uh, this has been going on for a long time, 
but we're at this point again now and more and more people are ready for a, a spiritual awakening so so called um right. and so i think there's a huge r- risk for uh, almost like i don't know do you have this feeling like a mass psychosis i mean i wonder sometimes if we're not already in that like i yeah I mean, just just perusing the spiritual realm of Instagram on any given day between the like, I'm channeling the codes and like, I have this crystal shop and here's me, you know, here's me and my partner with our perfect bodies in a, you know, bikinis, like right after doing ayahuasca and going on this whole rant underneath about like the power of psychedelics you just posted a picture of you in a fucking bikini like what is going on here like this is off in so many ways and yeah I I agree I also worry because of the time period we're in it's like this is a perfect opportunity to go in a different direction but what direction are we going in um one that is farther delusional and farther bypassed or one that's actually inviting us to do like the actual hard soul work to just know more of ourselves um and you know have a conversation with our shadow and not use these practices to avoid it you know and I think one really potent way I see that we're delusional is like all of the people a lot of people in the psychedelic world who are like oh if only Trump could just take ayahuasca just like do you not understand that like To me, this enlightenment stuff, this ascension stuff, whatever you want to call it, it's a collaborative effort between you, Mm -hmm. your intention, your willingness to be beaten down to some extent, like have the layers peeled off and whatever tool you decide to use, whether that's astrology or psychedelics or any of the above meditation, all this stuff. Um, And I that isn't I don't think that's being that's understood very much in our culture it's like I'm just gonna take this and we call it medicine which is also exactly medicine and even the word shaman is exported from the west and we don't know any of this stuff we don't realize how our own framework has infiltrated the meaning and experience of these things but we think we can just it is like a supplement or like yes. any sort of mainstream pharmaceutical, we think that we can just take that mm-hmm. and it'll fix us, which is so misguided and ultimately dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you alluded to the fact that one of the things we really need is community. Like the awakening isn't just personal, it's community and a communal understanding of what happens to someone when they start the process. Um, right. And the right kind of community. I mean, that's the other problem, I think, too, is that there are now, there are now communities based around the misuse of mm-hmm. these tools. Um, yeah. Which it's, it's like it's um, capitalizing on people's I mean, I think identitarian movements are the same. There's all these things in life that are capitalizing on our utter existential loneliness and isolation and confusion. And, and they're all cults in my mind. I mean, that's, it's cult like, it's like, here's what to believe. Here's who to follow. Here's what to do. Um, which is maybe a good segue to talk about 
that discernment piece a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. both personal discernment, but also communal discernment. Yeah. Um, I think discernment can't really take place until we have a relationship with what's going on in our physical bodies um, and our emotional selves and understanding our personal trauma um, or attachment wounds, whatever you want to say, because then we just keep projecting or acting from that triggered place. So discernment for me, and this is part of my training, I um, work in the compassionate inquiry psychotherapeutic method of Dr. Gabor Mate. But um, the body is primary. And it took me so long to to be okay with that. I mean, I was an intellectual. Uh, I thought I could just think my way out of my problems. And um, I have a strong mind. And my therapist had to train me how to be in my body and not disassociated. So discerning what what you really feel is important, and that gets back to um, a theme you often talk about in terms of returning to your own intuition. Intuition happens in your body. Intuition doesn't just happen in like, oh, I know what the right thing to do is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's discerning how you actually feel. And then from there, applying that embodied discernment and knowing what's true for you. So that's what I mean, that that first discerning what's happening for you helps you to develop the practice of knowing what's really going on, even if it's uncomfortable. You know, knowing that in this situation I was really triggered and I've got to learn how to handle that. Right. Um, and I don't, or, I don't, I didn't, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say like, or the, it's, you know, the other person is actually not safe, you know, like that's, I think a very key. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And discerning. So that involves, um, you know, we, we are in a moment where fear is extreme, uh, in our world. And so when you discern what is going on for you in your body, in terms of fear in general, in any, in any given moment, then you're able to say, okay, I don't feel safe now because of something, someone, something that's happening, or I don't feel safe in general because of trauma. Right. And that person just provoked it. They just reminded me of it. Yeah. But also we need our rational minds. Like for a long time, uh, in my spiritual journey, um, I, assumed that I had been too rational and that I just needed to kind of give it all up and be in this, let me just see how the universe is unfolding for me type of space. But I quickly ran into resistance, like I said, because I had, you know, my own problems in my spiritual awakening that continuing to follow the path, like keep going with meditation practices that were exacerbating my kundalini problems and not think, hmm, maybe I should stop doing this. You know, like (laughs) that was a huge one. Like actually rationally, objectively, um, the data, 
is showing me that this is not okay for me. And the answer is not just to keep blindly going into some unknown territory. Um, so it's very tricky, but you learn to trust yourself in, in those situations and understand when you can put your trust or safety in the hands of someone else and when you can't. Yeah, I had uh, this woman, Clementine Morgan, on the show, and she does a lot of writing around like trauma-informed polyamory, and I think she does a really good job of describing, I mean, and let's be honest, like so many of us have been <laughs> traumatized or have some trauma to work through, and I think, you know, there is a lot of rhetoric now around like in trusting your body and intuition and your body, and like until you, though, can discern the difference between being triggered and having Mm -hmm. like some sort of like honestly complex PTSD attack versus my intuition telling me I'm not safe here. You know, you really do need to actually employ your logic and and rationality alongside your emotions. Um, And I think that's, I don't know. I I think there's also sort of a thread that um, or two different threads that are meeting each other in a lot of this too, in our world where like, you know, we are getting triggered and we're acting from a place of emotion, even in the spiritual awakening, right? Like, oh my God, I feel mm-hmm. taken aback by all of this beauty and all of this stuff and this love and this, that. but you need your rational mind to come in and be like, okay, but you're not, you know, don't take that on as your ego. <laughs> like the point mm-hmm. is to, right. And if we were only focused in that realm of sort of bodily or emotional experience, um, we can, you know, go way too far into that. Like, I mean, then of course that's such a problem in our world. Like we don't know how to hold two truths at once. We don't know how to like say that Mm -hmm. you need your mind and your body. Like to to me, this is as a Libra moon, very obvious, like two things coexist and that's the whole point. Uh, But yeah, Mm -hmm. we have a very hard time sorting that. Um, Yeah. And I think that's, that process of getting, find a way to figure out how to sort that out for yourself. No matter what you do, there's a lot of different ways. Um, and, and more and more of that information is available. Uh, and I think for those of you listening who may be feeling like, oh, well, I don't have big T trauma, you know, I wasn't abused or I've never experienced significant neglect or injury. Our world creates trauma, the way that we are raised, the the systemic racism and the culture of white supremacy that we are born into in this culture creates extreme um, disassociation and attachment wounds. So all of us need to, to do that work to really return home to ourselves and to our own uh, authentic sense of what's true for us. Yeah. Can we talk too about what you were mentioning? Cause I think it's important about the sort of intersection or misunderstanding of discernment versus skepticism. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is my, I guess you could say ax to grind. And because I am now, um, working in a very spiritual space and open about, um, my own clairvoyant abilities and practices. So maybe I'm, I think personally I get upset 
with the whole skepticism movement uh, because skepticism kind of takes this point of view of like, I won't believe it until it's proven to me in hard matter, you know, or in some sort of provable, data-driven, empirical, materialistic way. Um, And that's where so many of us are coming from. I need to have compassion for that, you know, uh, because that's the what we think is um, like the world to us uh, is fo- founded on the principle of scientific materialism and that it's not provable unless it's in matter. Uh, so skepticism kind of takes that point of view, looking at spiritual or psychic uh, phenomena versus discernment is much more of where is this experience coming from in me? Um, You know, like even just saying like, I need to, like, for example, uh, I alluded to having visions of Christ. How would I prove that? Like, would I prove... (laughs) you know, uh, prove like, okay, Christ come to me for a 10th time now, and then I'll believe it's you. Or what is that even, how can you even prove that? Or is someone going to sit down and interview me and say like, here are the 10 times. And empirically I can say that Jenny, um, you know, has communed, (laughs) communed with Christ. right? Right. Um, And so versus discernment is more of what does this experience mean for me? What did it feel like? Um, You know, was it shocking? Was it enlightening? Was it scary? Why? And why do I need to, you know, like, I could even analyze myself, like, you know, why do I need to talk about it with you now? (laughs) Like what's coming, what is, where are all the different places in me that this is coming from? Right. And do I need it to be true objectively or do I, or is it true for me subjectively? And is that enough? Right. And then taking it a step further, which is like, okay, I'm accepting that I'm having these visions or these experiences Um, And the discernment comes around, like, how do I integrate that, right? Mm -hmm. Does it mean I'm special? Does it mean I'm God? Does it mean I'm crazy? Does it mean I need to teach this, right? Like, that's the piece that's more important. And then, you know, and also then what's happening, like, taking this a little bit further, once we accept, let's say that there are truths beyond the scientific materialistic world, and there are magic there is magic and miracles and all of these things that we can't prove right i mean this is why the whole prove astrology is real concept overall is just silly because to me i always say like you're literally asking me to prove god is real how would that work (laughs) like isn't the point that we can't prove it and i remember very early on i read some quote that totally probably Uh, catapulted me into all of this, but it said um, that coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. (laughs) And it, and it was like so perfect because it was like, Oh, I'm not meant to, you know, group the world into these scientific versus spiritual realms. That's not the point. The point is that 
they're sort of, they can coalesce. Um, but this, I, this other sort of danger in the mass psychosis, I guess, of when people take these on and have these experiences and then reject or distrust any degree of science or quote unquote proof of anything. Right. And, you know, we need to acknowledge what science does for us and what science doesn't do for us. Like science doesn't describe our soul. Science doesn't just, I mean, it can, it depends on your perspective, but science doesn't necessarily talk about divine consciousness or God. Um, but then at the other, on the other hand, um, acknowledging what it does, you know, my life was saved by science. I would not be here without science and discerning again, for example, like when you need medicine, when you need Western healthcare, all of my spiritual teachers in my community partake of the healthcare system, you know, when they have an illness or need it. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's a huge problem right now with the virus. It's, it's, it's really scary. Um, and at the same time, when we're talking about people who are not, who are completely dropping out of the Western medical system or choosing some other path, I have many dear people in my life who've made this choice to some degree or another. Um, you know, I think we need to acknowledge the trauma that the Western medical system has caused. And that's a big part of this split right now. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like we need to acknowledge our own trauma in order to think clearly and responsible, but also acknowledge, I mean, our own trauma is in like our own personal, my parents, my own like individual Mm -hmm. experience versus our collective experience with a lot of these things too. Um, Yeah, I sort of feel grateful in that sense because I feel like I got sucked in. I mean, just being born in this culture, you get exposed to the kind of cult of Western medicine Mm -hmm. But then also I went into the whole cult of wellness and of natural medicine and that in and of itself is completely neglecting of a more comprehensive understanding of healing and of timing and of all of these things. Um, But yeah, it, it concerns me. It concerns me quite a bit. And, you know, one of the, like this whole thing that's come about of questioning germ theory and all of that is to me so, I don't know, ridiculous in the sense of like, to me, I guess I took it as knowledge. I already knew that the healthier you are, the, the less sick you would likely become, you know, you build up your immune system, you eat healthy food, you move your body and you're happy and you reduce stress in your life. Okay. You're going to get less sick. But that doesn't mean to me that's not relevant as it relates to like a global pandemic or like your responsibility relative to the communities, the community and their health. And also it doesn't matter how fucking like, you know, it's the same within in spirituality. Like I don't care how many like rainbows you have on your body. You're still a human. You're still fragile. You can still mm-hmm. be run over by a car. You can still get a virus. Like let's be yes. real. You know, you're not a magical being you're a human with flesh (laughs) yes and being human is inherently risky I think that's you know the way I 
frame the discussion about the virus or the vaccine or do this or that um, with my clients is, you know, even if you don't get the vaccine, you could be hit by a car tomorrow. Right. <laughs> like, and what do we do with the fact that we're scared and our human life is precarious? And how does that inform our choices, both for ourselves and for how we want to treat others? So one last thing I wanted to ask you about is something I've been thinking about a lot recently uh, that I think because it's really difficult to live in this Saturnian world um, Mm -hmm. and because we have more access to spiritual practices and people who are teaching these things or experiences, psychedelics, etc., that we, what we think we want or what we're opting for, what we're doing as a fear-based mechanism is to think that like enlightenment is this, you know, escape that where Mm -hmm. I would like to go is not here and, or, or where I deserve to go is somewhere better than here. Uh, And I feel like for me personally, a lot of my spiritual journey recently has been recognizing that 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 the point is to me to bring those realms into my body and into my Mm -hmm. human experience not to reject my humanity and like try to like live in the clouds somewhere Mm -hmm. um but I'm interested Mm -hmm. to hear what you think about that yeah I think that's a point that's been coming up in my mind the back of my mind as we've been talking this whole time which is that um so-called primitive people or non-Western people, they never believed that they were separate from the cosmos and from supernatural forces, sources, gods, the divine. Um, and every the way that they treated their bodies, the earth, their communities, their livelihoods, um, and their lives was part of the the story of the divine here told here on earth or you know there's no difference between our right. earth human-based yeah. existence existences and so I totally agree with you I've been moving in the same direction I mean I used to go out with my friends and people would ask me like what motivates me in my life and I'd may have this like really strong militant answer like what motivates me is getting off the karmic wheel and like, you know, <laughs> making as much spiritual progress as I possibly can in this life. And it's just what we're talking about, racing for yeah. the infinite, you know? Right. And um, that's great. You know, I don't, it, there's a lot of pain and suffering in our, this existence, and I don't really want to have to do it again. But also racing for the infinite is probably going to kill me. And then I'll just have to come back and do this again. (laughs) So I agree with you. It is about bringing more of the divine down into our daily lives. And, you know, we've made jokes about crystals or, you know, other practices, but but it is, you know, what you've discovered with your tea practice. And, and for me, um, I'm not really a person who's been in nature a lot, <laughs> but, uh, but I've been, you know, working in my daily meditations with plant spirits. I'm not just talking about 
quote unquote plant medicine. But, you know, all of these natural forces that are around us and welcoming them into my life and opening my psychic awareness to them, for example, I think that might be something that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I also just take a lot of refuge and maybe it's my like Virgo Pisces nodal access, but you know, even any of these mythological stories, right. These sort of that, that, uh, exist cross-culturally, there's this relationship between humans and the gods. Like this is an Mm -hmm. underlying framework for all of this stuff is that we are in constant communion with the gods. There's a reciprocal relationship where making sacrifices to the gods, they're very present. Mm-hmm. And I think we can just take that kind of a story and that kind of an idea and put it into this day and age. And to me, it's like, oh, right, no shit. The gods are spirituality and I mm-hmm. am human, like the humans in these stories. And so how do we sort of dig channels for them in this world and have them exist here again It is not that I'm supposed to go up and become a constellation myself. It's that I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to help restore the balance Mm -hmm. between, you know, not even just the balance, the sort of lack of barrier that I think there is. And, you know, I don't want to take psychedelics to go visit that realm. I want to take psychedelics to remind myself that I exist in that realm at all times. Exactly. Um, And maybe that's more, maybe that's boring (laughs) for most people. Um, But why would that be boring? Now I'm going to speak from my Gemini rising perspective, which is an infinite field of possibility and magic. You know, that's what we want. Yeah. That's the antidote to, to our malaise. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. It's why we feel, it's why we go seeking in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it is unfortunate, I think, and this is, you know, made worse by science and by capitalism and by, like, quote-unquote progress, but until we understand that, like, we are nature and we are spiritual, I'm not mm-hmm. sure, you know, either we're, if we don't understand that, we do one of two things in my mind. It's like we harm the earth as we have been, or we become you know, we think we're Christ or something because we don't understand that there is and should be an integration between sort of the Mm -hmm. mundane and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, that feels like a good place to wrap it up. Um, Thank you for having this very amazing conversation with me, like pretty much during the Scorpio full moon. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Perfect. Um, Yes. So I'll ask you once again to tell everyone where to find you, and then I'm going to make you recommend another book. Yep, no problem. (laughs) I'm prepared. (laughs) Uh, So you can find me on my website is amaltheaastrology.com. That's A-M-A-L-T-H-E-A astrology.com, and I'm on Instagram. Though I'm not a prolific Instagram poster of my... No codes. You're not channeling codes on Instagram. No, no. Um, and the book I want to recommend is, uh, spiritual emergency, which we've been talking about this whole time. I was hoping you would do that. Right. By, uh, uh, Stanislav Groff and, um, his former wife, Christina Groff. And, um, Anya and I both read this book. 
I think it, it's all the chapters uh, are so succinct. It's a multi-contributor volume, and it describes a number of different types of spiritual emergency, which I think a lot of us could pick up the book and say, I've had that. Yeah. You know, I think I've had every kind of spiritual emergency in this book. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, it, it was, it's an old book from the eighties, but the message is still relevant. And one of the things in the book, uh, the intention of the book is to talk about this community program they had started called the spiritual emergence network was it, which was a network of therapists. I think it still exists, but I've never heard very much about it. Um, so I think that's a call to all of us to try to create those spaces for each other and to support ourselves in these spiritual emergencies and our emergence. Now I'm going to say amen to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And You're uh, welcome. until next time. Yes. Hello, everybody. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation. Please go to support my friend Jenny, um, get a reading from her, come to our workshop next weekend through Patreon. Again, the way to do that, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. If you sign up for the renegade level or higher, you get access to all the workshops and all the book clubs and all the playlists and the Discord server and stickers and... Uh, I don't know, other, other things. You'll see them all listed quite clearly there. Um, I am going to play you out with a song called Breathe by, I don't know how to pronounce his name and I don't have internet because our internet's down, so I can't look it up, but Askir, Askir, I don't know. Um, I write all of the songs that I play in the description of the podcast. You ever miss, if you ever miss that, or I forget to mention it, you can always find it there. You can also find the public, a millennials guide to saving the world Spotify playlist, um, on Spotify, obviously. Uh, and that has every song that I've ever played on the show. So you can subscribe to that. Um, I also have a few other public podcast, uh, playlists, basically the way that I do it as I release a bunch of playlists to my patrons. And then a year after I've released them just to patrons, I'll start making them public. So if you click on my name, there are some other playlists there as well. But if you want access to all the stuff I'm listening to now, that's what I release to my patrons on Patreon. Um, so yeah, enjoy this song. Um, I really like it. I think it speaks a lot to the experience of a dark night of the soul or a spiritual awakening or really anything. If we're going through a breakup or a transition, trusting that we're going to find our way home and find our way to the place we're supposed to be. If we don't have that faith, I feel like the whole process gets co-opted by our ego or by our shadow, or by our abandonment. Because just talking yesterday, I think I want to record a full solo episode about it sometime. But, you know, I just have so many friends right now who are in really shitty relationship situations. And the situation is built on a fundamental issue in the partnership, right? It's not just like, oh, you know, we're arguing because we don't like the same bed sheets. It's like we're arguing because at that the base of this, there is a compatibility issue. And the only way that this relationship is going to work is if one person changes who they are. And I was lying on the couch yesterday thinking like, if you, if we're still in the place of desperation for a partner, 
if we're still in the place of being afraid of being alone, then you're hedging all of your bets against total and complete isolation and death. And so of course you're going to settle. And we have to get to the place where we just trust that we'll end up where we're supposed to be. Even if there's a two-year window or longer between one partnership and the other. I am so grateful to have reached the point in my life where being alone was such a better choice, like nine million times better than settling. And yeah, I had to go through a bit of a crisis there in order to grieve and accept the loss and know that I would be okay. But we are at a time right now, I think, where everyone is being thrown into the blender, if you will, and or thrown off the cliff, or, right, there are so many things swirling around us, whether it's jobs, or places that we're living, or relationships, etc. And I think the number one thing that we can do for ourselves to support ourselves in that process, and to ensure that we're going to get the most out of it, is to trust that it is taking us where we need to go. Not on our schedule, not in the way that we want. It's not going to be easy, <laughs> but it will take you there. And that's what we need to have faith in. Just have faith in the universe as a whole. Because it's really not about us. So, enjoy the song. And uh, I'll catch all you lovely people in a week or so. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Bye, guys. Oh uh -huh.